This is how it began. The church, big C church, the body of Christ, the community gathered around the spirit or the spirit infused into the gathering. A gathering and a message so powerful that after Peter's brief sermon, the people ask, what should we do? And Peter replies, repent. And 3,000, it says, were added, were baptized and added to their number almost on the spot. This is how it began. The Holy Spirit came to those who were gathered, filling them and enabling them to proclaim the mighty acts of God for all to understand. If you're a biblical scholar, you know that this reverses the Tower of Babel story where all the people were scattered and given different languages so they had trouble communicating with one another. Language barriers were overcome by the Spirit to proclaim the mighty acts of God. People take notice. Some wonder. Others say they're drunk. This is what happens when the old order is disrupted and God's creative Spirit is unleashed. They weren't drunk. They were on fire. This is how it began. A couple thousand years later, we celebrate Pentecost, and Pentecost, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, really, but it's 50 days for us after Easter. For the Jews, it was called the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Passover. It was a celebration, and so that's why people were gathered in Jerusalem, and that's why all those people were there from all those different places to celebrate Pentecost. It was a great festival, which I'm sure drew many people, not just Hebrews, to celebrate this feast. And so a couple thousand years later, we celebrate Pentecost, the birth of the church by the Spirit. And 2,000 years later, we still claim to be people of the Spirit, people on fire for the good news of Jesus Christ. We still preach that there is no Jew or Greek, no male or female, no slave or free. We say we are all one human family in God. We believe that all people, as it says in Genesis, were created in God's image. All people were created in God's image. We still believe the good news of the gospel is for all people. We still believe and we teach and we preach these things. The gospel is a spirit-filled, God-breathed, world-changing message. But in light of recent events, I've begun to wonder if the white church has lost its breath, its gospel spirit. Have we allowed our contentedness our affluence, our privilege to be a knee on our neck as a church snuffing out the life of the gospel of God within us. We can't stop the gospel. The gospel is a thing of itself. God is moving in the spirit in many and different ways. But what about us? Have we lost the breath of God? I mean, how do we live? How do we live every day with the fact that young children of color are given the talk so as to always be on guard and rarely trust anyone who has any power or authority up to and including those 
who are supposed to protect and serve all of us. I mean, all the while, what am I doing? I'm teaching my kids, I'm teaching my kids that those same people are trustworthy and helpful. How do we live with the fact that in our country, one in which our neighbors of color pay taxes just like us, where they work and live and contribute to society just like us, they get up and they go to church just like us, that our neighbors of color will use this language. They feel hunted at times, especially African-American men. How do we live with the fact that someone, anyone who has achieved much, that we would be envious of, you know, an, an Ivy League degree, a, a successful business, someone who's pursuing a hobby, they've got a, a family, and yet when seen driving or walking or just standing around, the only thing that we see is the color of their skin. I've been asking myself, just to be really honest, How have I lived blind to these facts for so long? The Spirit is supposed to be our life, our breath. So I'm asking this, on this Pentecost, what way is the Spirit blowing? What is it that we are supposed to proclaim and live so as to seem drunk to some, but on fire in our souls? This is what the Spirit has been speaking to my heart. The time to end racism is now. These deaths and the way black and brown people are treated are the symptoms of a sick system based on social constructs of race and prejudice. Social constructs put in place and perpetuated by good white Christian people like you and like me even by not perpetuating these things, by thinking that we don't participate in these things, by being oblivious, as I have been all of my life, we contribute to the ongoing oppression of people who aren't look like us, of our black and brown brothers and sisters. As my friend Dr. John Bibbs reminded me at dinner the other night, Black and brown-skinned people cannot fix racism. Let that sink in for just a minute. Black and brown-skinned people cannot fix racism. White people have to. We have to. We have to stop feeling white guilt, and we have to use our privilege to stamp this out wherever we find it. We must educate ourselves. We must sit at the feet of our brothers and sisters of color. They need our humility to set aside what we think we know to hear what they know. We must humble ourselves enough to listen and to really hear. We must hear those whose lived experience is so much different than ours. And then we must gird ourselves in God to address and confront and change what has been wrong For too long, our black and brown brothers and sisters don't need our indignation. They need our action. They need our allegiance. 
We cannot outsource this work to eradicate racism in our families, in our workplace, in our churches, in our clubs, in our government, in our legal system, in our economy. We cannot outsource it. We cannot think that somebody else is going to do this work. Fred Rogers always said, look for the helpers. We have to become the helpers now. I believe the spirit is moving. This does not mean that somehow we ignore our differences or pretend to be colorblind. I mean, God blesses and has created these differences, our variety, our diversity, while calling those of us who have more power and privilege to work on behalf of those who don't. This is what Jesus said. This is why he was crucified. He stood in the face of overwhelming power and oppression and a broken societal system and he showed a new way. And those in power killed him. His resurrection was a big no to the powers and the principalities of oppression and manipulation and disenfranchisement. And this is what enlivened those first disciples. This is what set them on fire. The gospel of Jesus is not only social justice. We must never forget that. But it must include justice for all people if it's to be good news at all. Hear that again. If our gospel does not include justice for everyone, it is not the gospel. It is not good news for anyone. Jesus said, I bring good news to the poor. I bring release to the captive. I have come for those who everybody else overlooks and maligns and treats horribly. And I have come that they might have life and they might have it in its abundance. This Pentecost, the spirit is moving. This is how it begins. We put ourselves, we white people, we put ourselves in places where we are not the majority. Maybe we need to go to, to an African-American church. Not every Sunday, but regularly. Let's find some place to worship where we're not in the majority. Let's seek to cultivate some relationships and friendships with people of different skin colors. I mean, let's get uncomfortable. It's hard. I've tried for years. And only recently have I felt like I've made some inroads. And I'm so grateful to the brothers that I've begun to remake these relationships with. As I come sort of hat in hand and, and I ask them to teach me and show me what, it, what is it like to be you because I don't get it. I don't understand. We got to be vulnerable, to be humbled. When you hear someone make a slur, we need to let them know that we're not comfortable with that language. It doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be angry. But you can just say, I'm not comfortable with that language. I, and I... I'm asking that you not use it anymore in my presence. Read books. Educate yourself. There's a lot out there. And I'm going to call out somebody. Faith Alejandro, you've, you've given us a list of books on your Facebook page. And if you would repost that, that would be awesome. And any recommendation for where to start, would you give that to us as well? We need it. Personally partner with organizations that are already doing this work. There are already organizations out there that are doing this work. We don't need to recreate the wheel. But we've got to put white money and white bodies behind this. And maybe the biggest thing is to seek to eliminate the bias 
in our own thinking. What do you think when you see somebody of color standing around? What about somebody who's 100 pounds overweight? What about somebody who's disabled? What biases do we have in our minds? The gospel calls us to repent of our sin and our brokenness and to begin to live knowing that all people have dignity and honor and are created in the image of God. These initial things, maybe they seem simple. (laughs) They're not. And we haven't even gotten to what it means for the white church to be a force in changing itself and then changing our societal systems of inequity and inequality. And we cannot do any of this on our own power. We need Jesus. We cannot seek reconciliation and justice without the reconciliation, the righteousness, the justice that we find in him. He's the one who saves and sends the spirit for us to continue his work. This is how it begins. We start to take seriously our role as the disciples did as witnesses. Witnesses to Christ and his good news, yes, and witnesses to these atrocities of injustice to our fellow black and brown brothers and sisters. We witness and we don't walk away or close our eyes or throw up our hands to the ends of the earth we are called to be witnesses. We are witnesses. And as witnesses, we can draw strength from the prophets, just as Peter does in quoting the prophet Joel And like Joel teaches, our young and old, our women and men must dream new spirit-filled dreams. Or really, maybe it's the enactment of the dream that's been deferred for so long. When all people, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, will be judged on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. We must proclaim that black lives matter, that brown lives matter. We must prophesy that the systematic injustices of our American systems must end. But we cannot just dream dreams. We cannot just prophesy. We cannot only proclaim. We must, and I use that word strongly, we must be advocates and allies for the disinherited. We have to put our bodies into the work of God's kingdom We are empowered by redemption in Christ, empowered by the Spirit. We now know our lives are not our own. We have been set free in spite of our brokenness and our sinfulness and whatever ways that we've perpetrated things or or perpetuated things so we can give our lives. Take up the cross and do the work of God. Now I know some might be saying, well, what about these protests? What about black-on-black violence? What about law and order? What about, what about, what about? Well, as far as I'm concerned, and I've heard some other people say this, these whatabouts are our ways of deferring things. Yes, and yes, and yes. Protests that are violent must stop. But we cannot, just because of those protests, overlook the fact of the injustices that have brought about this kind of anger, this kind of helplessness, that the only thing left to do is to burn a bus. We must work for our brothers and sisters. Some might be saying, well, 
Is this the right time? We're in a pandemic. This is absolutely the right time. This pandemic has disrupted us and disruption opens the way for change and movement. Just as the spirit disrupted those disciples and disrupted that first feast of weeks, that Pentecost Sunday, just as God and God's spirit disrupted that, God's spirit is moving powerfully now in disruption. We're finally talking about race in a way we haven't talked about it, especially in the white church for a long, long time, maybe ever. We cannot go back to the way things were before. The old order is being disrupted. The old order will fight mightily to hold on to its position because that's what old orders do. The way forward in God will be difficult. But remember, the disciples didn't have their Pentecost moment and go back to fishing. They didn't have this powerful thing happen to them. They didn't have all these things going on around them and then go back to just doing whatever they were doing. We cannot have this Pentecost moment and go back to life as usual. God calls us to work for justice and reconciliation for all of God's creation and especially for the oppressed and the disinherited. That's how the church began. The Holy Spirit filled them with new life. People thought they were drunk when they were really on fire. So let us celebrate the birth of the church. May Pentecost 2020 be the birth of white Christians' commitment to justice for all people, to eradicate racism in our lifetime, to say no to anything that makes someone lesser than simply because of their skin color. May the Holy Spirit rain down fire to purify our souls, our lives, our economies, our institutions, our histories, to burn out all that keeps us from seeing everyone as one human family. May we be so spirit-filled that some people think we're crazy, that we're drunk, but let us be on fire for the gospel. May God's Spirit kindle a renewal unlike has been seen in decades, maybe in centuries. May the Holy Spirit fill us with courage and power so we find ourselves compelled to do the work of God at this time and in this place. May it be said of today, this is where it began. Amen.